Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 12, Night Shifter. Let's get this show on the road. I, I'm just going to put it on the table. I really like shapeshifter episodes. And I know this episode didn't give us any huge reveals or make any dramatic changes, but I just love the shapeshifter as an antagonist in these episodes. It's such a good creature. How about you get us started with your recap today? Would you like to count me down? Three, two, one. We open on the brothers already investigating these weird robbery, murder, homicide, death scenarios uh, until they eventually come across someone who is involved uh, in one of them who survived, who believes he's discovered what it really was, and that it's a mandroid. We all know it's a shapeshifter. We figure that out pretty quickly, especially from the glinty eyes and the video camera. They decide to tell him that mandroids aren't real. They go after the shapeshifter because they figure out where it's going to go next to a bank. This guy shows up with a gun and locks them in the bank because he's after the mandroid. They explain to him that it's not a mandroid and the mandroid's actually a shapeshifter. So they go after the shapeshifter, him and Dean, because he doesn't like Sam because Sam pissed him off. It's basically just a big old whodunit mystery murder thing until eventually the FBI and the cops show up and the FBI is like legit after Sam and Dean. Like this guy's job is just to hunt these two down, which is insane and crazy and a whole new change of dynamic. Yes, they do eventually get the shapeshifter who has a really cool ploy at the end with the whole double body thing. Sam and Dean do ultimately get away, but they know they are kind of screwed. Whew. Okay, 23 seconds left, and I kind of did rush it there. What was interesting about this episode is that usually when I'm watching these for the podcast, I usually like watch like five minutes, and then I stop, and I furiously take a bunch of notes. And then I watch for another five minutes, and then I furiously take more notes. But for this one, I was able to watch like large chunks of it, and then just jot down some ideas. Like I wasn't, it was nice because I didn't get angry while watching this episode. <laughs> That's a good start. I like that. I know. So, so it was it was definitely an interesting and refreshing way of watching. As far as the long game goes this week, do we have anything really to bring up? I can think of one. Victor Hendrickson, our new antagonist, I guess, which I think is just 1000% unexpected. If, if you told me at some point in the Supernatural series, let alone the second season, we would legitimately have the brothers facing off against a non-supernatural antagonist. I expected things like other hunters or, you know, other humans who might be into, you know, demons or angels or like not on their side, but still within the supernatural, like, like genus, but like legit just the FBI is after you now. Like you can't just shoot the FBI away and like, okay, we're done. Good, good, good. Or, you know, like exercise the FBI. Those, <laughs> those tricks don't work all of a sudden, or at least don't meet, do the same thing. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to see like how they're going to deal with this. Like I've thought of things that could be done. that would be interesting story wise, but like part of me also knows the show doesn't give me what I want ever. So I know I'm not going to get what I want. I love that. You're already thinking <laughs> like, Oh, I will never get what I want from this show. So I'll just take what I can. <laughs> It's very much like the, oh my God, if I were writing the show, I would do this. It would be incredible, which means they won't do it because that'd be too cool. 
so yeah, for the long game, we do meet Victor Henriksen, uh, who does come back, as you can imagine at this point, therefore announcing a time of even more consequences, which we had talked about a little bit uh, in The Usual Suspects. And so we are seeing more consequences and we will see more consequences in this season and the next one. Anytime they really encountered cops, it's almost felt like an empty threat. But this is the first time they get away and I'm like, no, nah, this dude's after you and you're going to have to face him eventually and there will have to be a conflict of some sort. And there will be. And let's move on to story time. Let's go. To start story time, I will just make a very brief statement. I joked about it ever so slightly in my recap, but if I go the rest of my life without hearing the word mandroid again, that will be just fine. (laughs) So the goal of Ronnie here, uh, like the goal of his character of writing his character into the story was truly to show like what we would have imagined in 2006 or seven at this point, actually would be a man obsessed with conspiracy theories. So obviously like, because this is 2021, like our idea of people who believe conspiracy theories have changed at the time, uh, Ronnie was the poster child, I guess, of what we would have imagined somebody to be very into conspiracy theories to look like and behave like and talk like. And so Mandroid is is kind of like the epitome of making fun of people like Ronnie. I just think it was like they purposely tried to fit it into the script as much as they could. I just had to get it off my chest. I just had to put it out there. <laughs> I get that. Hmm. So let's get started with the episode and try to keep the word mandroid out of our mouths. How about that? I think I think we're past it at this point. I'll be impressed if we can get back to it. I'm excited to never have to say it again. <laughs> the first thing that I sort of noticed in this episode is like Dean's relationship with police. I know that in other, and you've, you've touched upon that a little bit, but in other episodes, you can tell that Dean doesn't love the police, right? Like it's, it's been made pretty clear in certain episodes where he either makes fun of them or just thinks that they're useless, they're not doing their job properly. But in this one, I found that it was really, really pre- present. Like Dean does not like the police law enforcement in general. So you and you can see that in a couple a couple of instances in 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 the episode and I was kind of wondering what you thought about it. I think there's obviously a bit of a skewing because of the current climate around the police to detach from that as much as I can just to really talk about Dean and in, in this episode. There's a part of it where I think even when he's playing the police, he feels like it's make-believe. He really feels like he's hamming it up. Like there's like a, a level of like he doesn't take himself seriously when he's playing the police, even though people take him seriously because he's a Fed or an FBI or a cop, whatever the role would be in that, you know, arch- uh, the, uh, the archetype. But you can even see it here, too, just in the way that he discusses the way that they work. There is a lack of respect. And I feel like on the surface, that is something to do with the fact that they don't understand what he does, which is very obvious. They don't understand the supernatural world and how this whole thing works. But it also leaves that kind of like sour taste of he's probably had a lot of really bad run-ins with the cops as well. If we also imagine what I believe has been brought up in the past, that he has very likely turned tricks to earn money in the past. A guy doing that at that time and probably at that age probably had a few run-ins where he had to make some pretty shady escapes or do some less than good things to get around it. 
let's track that from now on a little bit more uh, diligently because I think it's important and we haven't quite done it. And so I think that this marks like a new, a new era for Dean and the police also. I can see that. Also, in this episode, they're actually... Like you mentioned, they're they're pretending to be feds, right? Like they're pretending to be the FBI, which is which is a bit new for them. They don't usually. I feel like I've seen an FBI badge flashed before, but I feel like in most cases it was really only ever to like get in somewhere. It was very rarely like playing a role per se. If they were investigating or talking, they're usually playing as like police chiefs or deputies or sheriffs. They've done like the CDC for hospitals and whatnot. Like they've done a couple of other things, but like I found that this was the first real time that it felt normal and natural for them to be FBI agents. In an, in a way, they're the ones shift, shifting shape, right? How have we never picked that one up before, even in the previous episode? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny because in Skin, they really don't play any other role. In fact, isn't that the episode where Sam like just outright like avoids lying to his friend? Like, yeah, doesn't just spill the beans. Hey, I'm here because there might be a supernatural event. But like, Dean starts with the, oh, yeah, we're here. And Sam goes, it's me. It's Dean. We're brothers. We're here to look into this. Yeah. So in Skin, it was interesting because there was definitely some tension about lying and telling the truth, which is kind of like a recurring theme, right? And it comes back in this one as well. And speaking of that, Sam actually chooses to lie to Ronnie about the case, whereas Dean's not on board. And you can tell. I think you pointed this out uh, in response to one of my crossroad deals a while back in early season two, maybe even late season one. Sam is so often judgmental of Dean's choices, but Dean so often is right. And I think we clearly see the consequences now where had not had they told him the truth, but had they like worked with him a little bit had they played up a little bit of the like oh we believe you let's look into this like put his his fears to rest they were going to take care of it this whole situation could have been avoided absolutely if we can just take a tiny step back before we get to the 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 bank like once they're back in the motel at the at the motel room dean actually brings it up to sam and he says like that sam could have totally thrown the guy a bone after all the legwork that he did And Sam replies that it's better for him to stay in the dark and stay alive. And when I heard that line, I was wondering if Sam was saying this about Ronnie or if Sam was saying this about Sam. Didn't make that connection. And as soon as you started speaking, I was like, I see where you're taking this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for someone who has been in the dark for so long and has learned something that led him down a very dangerous path that luckily his brother was there to save him from. Maybe this is Sam's way of saying, I wish Dean had never told me the secret. And that maybe even he wishes that John hadn't told Dean the secret because he cares about his brother a little bit. Yeah, it definitely sheds light on the idea of, ironically, shedding light on the idea of being kept in the dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah there, there, there is a very dangerous balance to play and we see it in so many episodes. And this is the first time it's really come back to bite them in the ass so hard is... There, there's a time and a place to reveal the truth. And sometimes you just need to, I feel like in a few recent episodes, just go like, here's what's happening. There's no time to process. Just believe us versus let's have like, you know, in uh, usual suspects, like let's discuss this. Like you've seen things now we can kind of like, I'm not just saying stuff. You're now seeing stuff like let's work together here. Let's slowly build up to there's ghosts. Yeah, I I was also shocked by 
how strongly Sam like kind of brought it back in Ronnie's face. Like I felt that it was, it was a little bit um, strange for Sam. So I'm assuming that there's something going on with Sam and we know that there's something going on with Sam. He's dealing with all of this stuff. He's dealing with finding out that Dean might have to kill him one day. And we saw, we saw in the last episode that he's clearly having some trouble dealing with that and coping with that. And so I think that we're seeing that come through. And speaking of that, during the hostage situation, Dean's the one to connect with Ronnie because if you think back to just a couple episodes ago in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and Crossroads Blues, we saw that Dean was the one who had a lot of trouble empathizing with others. And if we remember, it's actually because he was carrying John's secret. What I'm seeing now is that now that he's like unburdened himself, like so to speak, he's the one who's willing and able to connect with Ronnie from the start even before he takes them hostage. Like he would have been okay with telling Ronnie a little bit more of the truth when they were at his house. I, I really like that read. I, I definitely see where it comes from and think it's a thousand percent valid. But I think there's another side to it that's a little more surface level even. I feel like this is the first time we've really had a character who we're encountering who I can't think of many other examples where Dean connected with somebody, but the few times he does... It's always to other loners or outcasts like even Gordon is a lone hunter and kind of an outcast. And we get the vibe that probably doesn't gel, you know, gel well with other hunters. He's an outcast, even from his own group. You know, here we have Ronnie, who's, as you put it earlier, a conspiracy theorist, kind of a nutter. Like, yes, ultimately, he's on the right path and he has he's some good so ideas. Close. He's so close. <laughs> and of course, Dean being kind of on the outside of things, gets that. He connects to it. I like that. I don't think the two reading, I don't think the two reads are mutually exclusive too, which is pretty cool. I like that. I like when that happens. Yeah, we get these nice like separate readings that kind of like mesh perfectly together. It's also the same reason Sam is so good at connecting with people in general because most people are social creatures, which he tends to be as well, where Dean isn't. Do you think that Sam has trouble empathizing with Ronnie because he's an outcast? Like, is that is that what it is? I think I would need to see more scenarios because I'm trying to think the only other major outcast character we've had as Gordon. I feel like he's a very distinct example. He, I don't think he fits the same mold as Ronnie in all the ways. Again, Sam didn't mesh with him either, but I feel like there was sort of a different underlying reasons for that more than just that their social styles were different. But I'd be curious to see as Sam meets more people who may fit Ronnie's mold more or more of a Dean connection why they don't connect. I think maybe something to kind of track and look into in the future. What you're saying is actually really interesting because in my notes, I was saying, so because so I wanted to do a contrast between Sam and Dean right now because Sam is the one who's having trouble empathizing with Ronnie, right? So my, and it's interesting because in my notes, I jotted down, I think that in the best of circumstances, Sam would have trouble empathizing with someone like Ronnie. So clearly, like, there was something there for me, too. So I felt that, even though I didn't quite put words on it. But I definitely think that given the circumstances, like, what he's dealing with, having to adjust to, like, knowing that he might turn evil at some point or, 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 or all, any of that stuff... Dealing with Ronnie just feels like too much for him. He's like, I cannot deal with you. And you can really see like the contempt that he has for him in this episode. Like it's not even like, it's not even like, 
oh, I just wanted to spare him. Like, it's really like, I don't like this guy. Because I was going to say, even just the way he like delivers that news of like, let me tell you the truth. Like, I always he was set up for the fake out of like, he's not actually telling the truth. He's going to lie to him more. But like, that was like, that was harsh, Sam. That was like, that was woof. Ronnie didn't deserve that. I don't think so. I agree with you. I don't think he deserved it. And um, and I think Dean also agrees with us because you can see it in his face and you can and you can see it after when they get back to the motel, like we discussed, right? Yeah, I feel like Dean plays it off as like, I approve of what you did, but that was kind of harsh. But I genuinely feel like Dean would have been like, not the angle I would have taken with that one. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, that's where we're going. Okay, I'll follow (laughs) because you're going through stuff. But I don't know that that's what I would have done. (laughs) What did you think of Henriksen's intro? I thought it was masterful. (gasps) Yes. (laughs) I just like right away you get the vibe of who this character is. You get a vibe for like what kind of like game he runs and how he plays his rules without saying much just in the way it's shot the way he interacts with a few people he interacts with there's a very like take no shit attitude which i i'm gonna just give you credit because you put it in the notes but i think it's very apt is very dean it's funny because i had never had that feeling before but when i saw him like just taking charge of those situations i was like wow that has a very dean vibe to him like cool victor like awesome (laughs) like even the way he insults the other like police chief there and says like you can just go get some donuts and screw your wife i don't care it also had a vibe of like i don't respect your like precinct the police what you do like i am above you i am a fed i am doing something greater kind of the way the brothers generally treat people because they're doing something above what other people understand. Like it, it's a lot of a lot of symmetry there going on and I am very intrigued to watch these two fight each other. Then they have the conversation or I guess I should more say the almost monologue between Dean and Henriksen. Basically a quip off. Yeah. <laughs> It's literally, it's just like, it's one quipping back at the other. Quip to quip to quip to quip. And like, we are balanced. We are equals. And this is going to be a fun fight. Is there anything else that like you got from that conversation that like jumped out at you first? From that conversation, not much more. But I would be remiss to not bring up the fact that when refer, I feel like it's, it's a very layered line. And it's the way that Hendrickson says, you don't know what you're dealing with. There's a monster in there, which, again, I think initially is meant to be the fake out of, oh, he knows about the shapeshifter. No, he he's referring to Dean and he does say monster singular. Yes, he's after Sam and Dean, the the uh, Bonnie to his Clyde, as he puts it, which also making a movie TV reference like that. Very (laughs) Sam and Dean. So. More well, symmetry real there. Life, Sam, Bonnie and Clyde. But true, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> true, they were they were a real duo. I'm so used to the, the depictions in film and media. We do have this line where he refers to Dean specifically as a monster, which you and I have discussed in this show, how Dean sees monsters as these others or things that sometimes, like with certain vampires, can be good and has led this whole kind of like similarity to Dean's sexuality. He's himself as something to be othered and in fact can be redeemed. It just, it's a very nice and like poignant, like choice of words. I'm wondering how much to tell you. (laughs) 
Wait, what? If you tell me that Hendrickson is gay, I am going to die <laughs> on the spot. I can't tell you that because it's not in the canon of the show, but I will tell you that there are a lot of fans who like the pairing of Dean and Henriksen. I feel like anytime you put two characters with a very, like, opposing views, but very equal, like, power, I think that tends to happen very quickly in in fandoms. Like, right away you say it, and I'm like, look, thinking back to that phone call, like, yeah, of course, who who would not at least question that? But yeah, no, I, I just, I really, I think it's a really interesting line to go back to it, to, to refer to Dean as a monster, especially how we've discussed monsters in the past on this show. And yes, we've usually leaned on vampires specifically, but we have in the past mentioned monsters in general to be you know, other to be different, to be wrong and having to learn that they're not all bad very much in the way that Dean has to learn that being bi isn't a bad thing and he's allowed to be himself and love who he is. I just think I, I really like no part of me wants to sit here and go like that was an intentional choice of wording there. But I think for us who've used this analysis, it just speaks volumes. I, you know, I'd, I, I, I totally agree with you because, you know, this is one of those things where like, we can't really talk about intentionality here. Cause I don't think it was there. Like, like you just said, but, but the fact is that it is there and that from everything that we've looked at so far, this is what we're thinking. And I think, I, again, I think that this is sound like, because we are looking at the text, we're linking it back to the, to the show and to the, the previous analyses that we've done together. So I think, I think we've got something there. That's interesting. Last episode, we talked about Dean calling his dad an ass, you know, dad was an ass and he shouldn't have put that on me. Right. And now in this episode, he's saying that he was a hero. This is rose colored glasses. This is little boy looking up to daddy. Like, I feel like I've seen it in comedy bits where like two characters are hating on a third character. They're both friends with. And then some stranger goes like, yeah, I don't like that either. And they both go, whoa, you can't say that about her. What the hell? I'll fight you. Like, it's almost that comedy turnaround of like, no, no, we know this person. We can be critical. You have no right to say that. You don't have the history I do. Like, I, I definitely think that there's absolutely some of that. Like, him still being very protective of John and John's image, especially to others. Because I think that that's also something that's been ingrained in him throughout his childhood, uh, adolescence, and adulthood. So, like, he can criticize him, but others just can't like that's not allowed but I think that there's also something else here and you know that might just be me projecting but I think that there's also like Dean's opinion of his dad is still changing and shifting and like depending on the day and depending on the circumstances like he might have a different opinion of his dad I think it's just that he has a nuanced view I mean yes obviously John did many terrible things at the same time, John taught him a lot of the things that have kept him alive and has kept him alive this long, like both as a father and as a teacher. Like, yeah, he may his methods may have been bad. He may have made lots of terrible decisions. But at the end of the day, this was his father, his father who saved his ass countless times, I'm sure, and taught him to be the man he is today, which while also flawed is still someone who he's proud to be, hopefully out loud louder eventually. But he is who he is, you know? So it's one thing to say, like, to defend him. Like, yes, he he was a bad man, but he did good things. 
to somebody who doesn't know the good things he did. So yeah, his opinion, I, I would I would say yeah, it changes, but it's also just a very nuanced opinion. It isn't a like he one day dad was perfect, next day dad was the worst. It's dad was a human who made mistakes, but also did good. I feel what you're saying because that's where I think Dean will get to, but I'm just not sure that that's where he is at the moment because the words that he uses are like, dad was an ass. And then after that, it's like, he was a hero. So I'm not sure that the word nuanced is what I would use because nuanced would be like, well, he wasn't perfect, but he did some good, you know, or like he was awful, but he was okay sometimes, you know, like that's, it would be more in the shades of gray. Whereas like, the words that he's using right now are very much in the extremes. So that's why I'm a little reluctant to you to say nuance, but I, I understand the sentiment of what you're coming from, where you're coming from. And I think that that's where Dean is heading. But I think in the, in the current moment, he's like seesawing between the extremes to like slowly find a balance in the nuance. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think you're right. I think I'm I'm projecting a bit of the nuance because I think I understand where it's I, you're right. I think I understand just from human nature where that is going to be eventually because I have relationships like that with people where I I'm happy to be a have had them in my life, even if they're not there anymore, or I'm happy they're in my life now, even if they can be difficult at times. And my opinion of them day to day shifts with the moment and the thought, but ultimately always comes back to why we're still connected. And I think I'm projecting that on Dean a little bit. And you're right. Dean is very much in a raw state where I think deep down, this is what his brain wants to get to, as you've said, but he is in the moment, just making the very critical choices each time he has to think about his dad. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think he's not at nuance just yet. I think he will. He does get there actually, in my opinion, he gets there, but he's not there yet. And that's what I mean by his opinion is still changing because he's still going from those extremes. Um, and that shows to me that he hasn't healed yet. And that's fine. He's got time. But it just means that he hasn't healed. Can we talk about the chaos of the two Sherry's? That was gold. I was loving that. <laughs> because I... Fully didn't expect it at first. When they first find the body and they're like, oh, we know who it is now. I, again, the directing, the acting, the choice of camera work, the lighting, all of it really kind of points you at like, like last time we found it at body and it was revealed the person in the vault was the shifter. Now they're reversing that. They're playing that against you. They've set up, you know, the expected formula and they flipped on its head. So when they bring Sherry in and she freaks out and then faints and the brothers are just like, what? I love that they don't know what to do with it. They're just like, oh my God. And Dean they're, just doesn't like question just, it. He's about to like stab her. But that's, but that's the best thing is like, yeah, Sam ultimately stops Dean. But Dean like has a moment where he's like looking back and forth and he's like, okay, I mean, I guess I have to stab her. Like there's very much like a pause of like, I, I mean... I mean, she's she's the shifter, so I'm going to stab her, right? That, that's what it's we like, do? The other one's dead, so I guess I'll just kill that one, too, and hopefully I'll get the shifter. <laughs> yeah, like it very much felt like a, I guess this is the right move? It's like, I, I don't know if you've ever, like, grew up playing chess or ever played chess, like, not competitively or seriously, but, like, 
I played with some friends who are really good at chess and there will always be that weird moment where they leave an opening and you're like, no, 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 no. Like you want me to do this. What the, what is your play? And you're there for like 20 minutes, like trying to figure out, okay, if I do move there and then that, but what? And like, and then sometimes the result is there was nothing. They were just screwing with you. This is exactly that. This is just like, like there's probably a moment where the shifter was like, oh, I could probably attack now. Nah, this is funny. I'm gonna keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the intentionality that you that you ascribe to the shifter. It makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me very happy, actually. <laughs> I like shifters. I know that they've all been evil up to this point, but they are such interesting and like well while being so non-defined, they have been so well crafted. Well, so I wanna talk about that. Because you say non-defined and when we were talking about this earlier in the episode like I just had a flash that basically like we know like I said we know nothing about this shifter and like all we know is how other people ascribe like either feelings or intentions or names to the shifter so like you know, we have we have Ronnie who calls it a mandroid. Uh, we have Henry. Oh, we make it the whole episode without saying it again. Damn. I know. I'm so sorry, but I had to say it. And then there's Henriksen who says that the true monster is Dean. Uh, then you have like the owners of like the other bank and or the jewelry store that say that like it was another a person that they trusted. Like the big bad literally shifts in this episode. Like there is no defined bad. It could be anyone depending on who you as a viewer or you as a character think is the most evil thing in that vault. I think we went through it a little bit in our pre-show notes, but the shifter basically has like one, maybe two lines this entire episode. And they are very much while playing the role of a character trying to escape. And beyond that, like, you know, we think of the last shapeshifter we encountered. It could barely shut up. Not that's a bad <laughs> thing. It was great. And we learned so much about Dean and the shifter itself and, you know, the origins of them even. And then this one is... Silent. Now that we're here, I have had the hardest time, like, trying to pin down the core theme of the episode. We brought this up between ourselves before recording and I kind of set myself the mindset of let's see if we could find one on the way. Did you find one? I have like starts and thoughts and like preliminary findings, but I don't quite know what to make of it because like in our last shapeshifter episode, like the theme was hiding in plain sight, like hiding things or, you know, like it was about, basically it was about Dean hiding certain things, but then saying them out loud, but not saying what he means. Like it was very much about that. Whereas in this one, there seems to be a lot of duality. So we mentioned the two Sherry's. There were also two female suitors for Dean, Franny and Sherry. We have the two side characters, Ronnie and Henriksen. We have the two brothers, obviously. We have the two robbed establishments. 
We have two human deaths, the security guard and Ronnie. We have two law enforcement organizations, the, the local PD and the FBI. We've got the two ways that Dean sees John as both an ass and a hero. And now again, like in our last Shapeshifter episode, the focus was on Dean and what we learned about him through the shifter's words. And I'm just sort of left wondering, like, what do we learn from all this duality? Interesting. That's a really... Like, the fact there are so many dichotomies like that, that it really, like, it didn't hit me how many there were until he brought them all up. I was going to say, like, maybe three out of four of those, maybe, but, like, damn. <laughs> I'm impressed. It's like, is it, is it, is the secret message that he's bisexual? Because, like, if that's it, like, we figured it out a while ago. Like, this is not new, you know? Like, there's nothing shocking about this. So I'm kind of wondering, is that all it's about? I mean, I'll take that on a silver platter any day as our theme. <laughs> the only thing that really comes to mind, so when I look at a theme, I try to look at almost, like, working backwards. What did we learn in this episode? And I feel like the first thing we learn which is very tangible as opposed to a lesson is the fact that there is a new antagonist which is the Hendrickson or the FBI in general if you want to be more vague but the idea that we now have a non supernatural entity acting as an antagonist seemed like very like that was the big thing this episode wanted to get across to us but I think the other thing it kind of shows us is the fact that not everything is to be what it seems, kind of like a don't judge a book by its cover almost. Scenarios that you expect to play out a certain way aren't. The idea of leaving somebody in the dark and not knowing about the supernatural is normally the safer bet. In this case, it was not the safe one. It caused Ronnie to grab a gun and go lock up a bank and try to take things in his own hands. So their usual play of like hide the supernatural world from somebody backfired. We have the brothers kind of playing the role of the villain in this one at the very end where they have to like take over this bank robbery and to continue their job. So they're playing the role they normally don't play, which is they're normally the hero and here they are effectively from the outside, the villain, even if they don't kill anyone themselves or do anything actually villainous, even just them having to eventually don disguises to escape, having to play a role that they are clearly not in order to survive Though we've seen them use disguises before to get information, it's the first time we've seen them use disguises to escape or evade. I don't think it's as strong a theme as yours of duality. I just thought it was worth bringing up as a conversation piece because I do really like the idea that there are so many small moments in this episode where essentially what would normally be the right move is the wrong move. Like even as simple as this man's having a heart attack. Let's save him. Is n letting him go is the wrong move because the shifter is using it as an excuse to escape. Yeah, the option that is presented as the best choice is not. So sometimes we have to make the harder choice, even if the easier choice does seem like the right one at that time. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I said it. Yeah. And now all I can think about is Dean killing Sam and I hate it. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Would would killing Sam, just never telling him the secret and just killing him and get you know, nipping this whole demony Sam going evil thing in the butt be the better option? 
then, but then there wouldn't be a show. So I'm assuming that that's not the option, but I, I, I see what you're saying and I, I like it. I appreciate it. Thank you for bringing it up. Okay. So we have two partially formed, interesting theme concepts this episode. That that's bound to happen. We don't, we can't, you know, the interesting thing about the exercise that we're doing is that sometimes like we'll get something really, really solid and other times like, you know, we can't, we just can't win them all. <laughs> and that's we have okay. this weird duality between the two of us, don't we? <laughs> On that, shall we enter critical time? Yes, please. So Mary, would you regale me with who wrote and directed this episode? This episode was written by Ben Edlund, who has written Simon Said and who will be writing many, many more episodes until season eight. The reason why I really was looking into the theme of the episode is because Ben Edlund is generally somebody who writes amazing Dean episodes. Which is interesting because the only episode I know him from is Simon Said, and I feel like that's much more of a Sam episode, so... Well, this one, yes, I would agree, is a little more Dean than Sam, although I think they both get a pretty fair shake this episode. I'll be very intrigued to see what happens uh, down the road with uh, Ben's episodes. The director for this episode was Phil Scritchia, who directed Nightmare, Provenance, and Everybody Loves a Clown, and will be directing many, many more episodes until season 14. Not my favorite episodes, but... By no means, I mean, everybody loves a clown, kind of, eh. But I do like the kind of weird coincidence that they wrote Simon Said Nightmare, kind of our two previous uh, episodes focusing on uh, other psychics. Is there anything you want to talk about in uh, Critical Time this week? Critical Time is my good, my favorite opportunity to kind of bring up the lore or some background or talk about references. And we were very light on references this episode, I feel. And the shifter, again, doesn't, give us any new lore to the shifter if anything it just continues the existing lore of they are very mysterious but also very human-like both in the fact that dean describes it as being like a human and that its motives are very human-centric and just being it's greedy it wants riches and money well something that i thought was interesting is that he links werewolves to shifters for some reason. I mean, if you don't even look at it from the surface, I mean, what is a werewolf other than a human turned? I mean, yes, traditional werewolf lore has this person who's affected uh, transforming to a werewolf creature on a full moon or the night before and after, depending on the legend. But they are ultimately still a human. So we often have that. You know, is it good? Is it okay to kill them? You're still killing a human that is affected by effectively a condition they can't control. Is is it the person's fault? Is killing them the right move? That's usually what most more dramatic werewolf movies tend to lean on as far as a uh, big audience question. In this case, we do break away from that a bit because the shifter is fully aware of its actions as far as we know from the previous shifters experience. So. I guess that kind of guilt is removed ever so slightly. But the fact that Dean also compares it to a man or a human, I think helps keep it in line. The fact that these things are still not monsters per se. We'll find out about how shifters happen to come into existence in a future episode. Let's go listen to a voicemail. Hi everyone. I'm Lucia. I'd like to start by extending a giant thank you to Rochelle, Marie, and Drew for making this podcast. 
Um, I think it is a wonderful project and clearly a project of love. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of every episode, including all of the fan interactions, whether they've been guest speakers, uh, messages, voicemails. They're always so exciting. And I've enjoyed every insight and every discussion that's come. It's honestly fueled me to have lots of thoughts and opinions on the episodes, and I'm sure I'll be excited to share more of those as time goes on. So I doubt this is the last time you'll hear from me, but instead of sharing some insights into the show, I just wanted to take a moment and discuss the actual podcast and what it has meant to me personally as a longtime fan. Um, So I am not typically a podcast listener, and that's not a reflection on podcasts in any way. It's specifically to do with me. Um, Sometimes I have attention issues and struggle to focus on something where there is a discussion going on, especially where there isn't a visual. So normally I don't listen to podcasts. Um, But with that said, I have seen content on Twitter, on TikTok, on different places coming out from Carrying Wayward. And as I've watched it and looked at it and engaged in it, it made me realize that I was clearly missing something important. So I decided that I had to go back and I had to listen to the episodes and see what was being discussed in the podcast. And boy, am I so glad that I did this podcast. Wow. Um, so as I stated, I'm a longtime fan. I'm also a queer woman. Uh, and like Dean, I have not been able to come out up to this point to some of my family, primarily due to concerns about their reactions and potential rejection. And here recently, for a variety of different reasons, I've decided that I'm prepared and ready to take that step. Um, so this podcast has actually been something that has been really helpful to me as I went through a lot of the emotional and physical stress that have come prior to making that, um, that step. So... I don't want to give a ton of spoilers, but obviously as someone who loves the show, as a queer person who felt really represented in the show, I was really hurt by the way that it ended. Um, There were things about the last few episodes that were just really painful. And that was really difficult for me because this show has always been very much a comfort especially in times when I've dealt with other trauma. Um, When I have struggled, when I have been hurt by other things, one of the things that has always been an encouragement to me is to be able to turn on this show and see these characters and engage with their stories. And so it was especially difficult when the show ended and the thing that had been so important to me and brought me so much comfort and so much peace was now tainted by its own story. I wanted so much to be able to find that same comfort and go back and watch those episodes again. I even had a full rewatch planned for when the finale was over. And yet, from the moment that that episode ended, 
I realized that that just wasn't something that was possible for me because the show had been corrupted. And that was even more painful to because it wasn't just the show was ending. There was a secondary form of loss of something that brought me so much comfort. And then not being able to go to the thing that brought me comfort because it was lost. I could still look at pictures and watch short videos and edits, um, which is obviously how I engaged with the fandom and saw the podcast. But really watching any of the episodes just wasn't a possibility. And I wondered if I'd ever be able to really go back and appreciate the story like I had been before, um, or if that had just been completely taken away. I still haven't been able to go back and actually watch any of the episodes. And I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that visually um, and emotionally, there are things there that are connected that are painful that I haven't quite gotten over yet. And so when I started listening to the episodes, I was worried, you know, were there things that were going to be discussed that would hurt? And yet, instead, this podcast has become such a comfort and such, dare I say it, like a blessing almost to me as a fan, um, because it's allowed me to engage with the series in a new way that is fresh in a way that is both appreciative and critical, um, in a way that sees the characters for who they are and gives them that authenticity and that validity, even of the you know queer reading of the characters and you know the insight into their trauma, while also questioning some of the story choices that were made and how the audience has that ownership over the story now. Um, and in saying that, I discovered and began listening to the podcast right around the time that I made the decision that it was necessary for me to come out to my family, um, which was like a few days ago, and I'll be coming out to them soon. And here I am, have basically binged every single episode of this podcast within a few days, Something that normally, I, like I said, I wouldn't be able to do, and yet I literally can't turn it off. It has been so comforting to me in such an emotional time. And so I just wanted to extend a huge thank you again to Rochelle and Marie and Drew for making so much effort to create this content and to give us a new way to engage with the show and also to everyone who has kept it going so that it was still on the air by the time that I found it and was able to watch it and enjoy it. Um, thank you for giving me that comfort. Thank you for giving me that insight. Thank you for giving me my show back and allowing me to feel at peace with some of the things that I've lost and giving me hope that I'll be able to reclaim it soon. So I'm sure that I'll be able to provide you some updates as things go on. But yeah, just a big thank you. It means a lot. Lucia, you made me cry. <laughs> you made us both cry, okay? Yes, we're both in tears. We have been sobbing for the last two or three minutes. <laughs> 
in all seriousness, I know that I'm the one, you know, who got your your voicemail and I like talked you through how to send us the voicemail and whatnot, but like I don't actually listen to the voicemails until we're sitting down to record. And so I had no idea what was going to be on there. Um, had I known, I would have given Drew a heads up. No, I think it's fine. We're both in this together. I'm still crying. A little bit of disclosure here. What you're describing, the experience that you're having with, with Carrying Wayward, is what made me want to start Carrying Wayward. Let me explain that. As I've, I think I've mentioned before, I really, really liked Harry Potter growing up. And even well after I was growing up, uh, I, I really, really liked it. And obviously, in re- especially in recent years with J.K. Rowling's hateful, transphobic comments and ideologies and doubling down, I, 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 was, I was truly living through like loss and mourning and grieving. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is it. I'm in my 30s now. Maybe it's time for me to just get rid of the books, get my tattoo covered up and just like move on. And I, I was starting to make peace with that idea until I found a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And that gave me an outlet to engage with the books and the story that was not only like nostalgic in all the ways that I needed, but also critical in all the ways that I wanted. Obviously, when we started Carrying Wayward, we had no idea what the finale would be like. Drew still doesn't know. I mean, again, through cultural osmosis, I'm sure he's heard things, but I had no idea that Supernatural would let us down in the way that it has. I'm so, so touched to know that I am in some small way able to give back like the comfort that was given back to me. Although I really wish that we didn't have to do that. Like I wish that we could just sit here and talk about how wonderful Supernatural is and how happy the ending is. And But we, we just, we can't do that. And so thank you so much for sharing this with us, Lucia. It, it, it really, truly means the world. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm still sitting here teary-eyed. Like my, like it's starting to burn from how much I've been like rubbing my eyes because I've just been like in tears this entire like listening truly the fact that this show could be that like I I know when Mary approached me initially for the show it was kind of her way of being able to re-watch it through fresh eyes I think we both hoped it would be a chance for her to look at the series again especially after the finale as a fresh start a better take a chance to relive it and learn to love it again that is something that if I could bring to this fandom that I have been so lovingly welcomed into i'm happy to be even the smallest part of that to touch on another point you brought up as someone who only very very recently came out or even realized it was coming out to be done i also reached out to another podcast that i listened to and thanked them for helping me make that discovery as much as a lot of it was done here with mary on this show and in talks with my wife there is a podcast called gotta snatch them all a uh, pokemon themed podcast from a queer angle that very much helped me figure out a lot of things I hadn't realized about myself yet. And, you know, so I, I literally did what you just did days ago in reaching out to somebody to thank them. So it feels very weird to be on the other side of it all of a sudden now. I am so proud of you. And you know what? I'm just going to be very, very blunt. Even if you can't do it, even though I believe in you 100%, you are 100% valid in whatever choice you make. I hope you reach out to us and let us know how it goes, if and when, and you have our full support. And that goes for you, Lucia, and any and all of our listeners. Thank you.
Shall we go to the crossroads, which is hopefully a lot less emotional? Yes, let's do that. Okay, so welcome down to the crossroads where we are no longer crying. We have had a few laughs as a pause to help ourselves. Would you like to go first? Sure. I don't know. I feel like it could potentially be a controversial one, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll brace myself for your well, reaction. Well, mine's not controversial in the least, so let's let yours be the big one. Okay, so... I would say that I would want more Henriksen and less Ronnie. For what we got of Hendrickson, I would have liked him in a bit sooner. I would have liked some more confrontation. I feel like we didn't get enough. You're right. It's interesting because like you truly see, so basically to a certain degree, like Henriksen shows up and then Ronnie dies, right? It's it's the, the arrival of Henriksen that triggers literally the death of Ronnie. I just feel like as much as as much love as I have for both characters, I think that they would have deserved to have like more time on screen. Like I would have loved to have seen like a whole episode with Ronnie, it maybe in a different context. Or and 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 obviously I want to see more of Henriksen, but if I have to make a deal in this particular episode, I wish that we had seen more Henriksen and less Ronnie. Okay, so remember when I said mine was non-controversial in the least? Okay. Yeah, exact opposite. No! <laughs> uh, not not in that exact sense. I don't think Hendrickson's what I would have given up per se. I got a very Ghostfacers vibe from Ronnie, and I think what I really would have loved to have seen, and I think we could have still gotten across what Sam ultimately was trying to do, which was keep him in the dark, while letting Dean take the lead and play it into the lie a little bit. Like maybe like that, like what I kind of expected almost and then didn't get would have been like what Sam telling the truth should have been. The, you're right, we are feds. We are with a different organization. We are after this thing. Let's rope you into it, make you feel safe. And then it could have still turned into a, he tags along when he shouldn't and gets roped up in the, you know, this whole, uh, what turns it into a bank heist looking thing when intentionally it was just them going in to do what they were already doing with the security cameras. I don't think it would lose any Hendrickson time. And I feel right away, even in this episode before we discussed it, I very much felt we were going to get more of him. So I wasn't worried about not enough, which is why I don't think my head went there right away. But I think I would give up the lying and potentially even Ronnie's death in favor of a continuing the lie and having to like babysit this character and make it work. I mean, any scenario where Ronnie doesn't die, I think would have been a good one. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, if his death was really that important to a story point, it could still happen. But was it though? Was it truly important? Because I know that production makes a big deal out of it. But like, is it necessary? No, I I, I don't think his death is necessary. I don't think any of the deaths are often necessary. Like I've, we've said so many times before, there's been on-screen murders where like nothing was gained or lost other than like, okay, so we've seen this thing kill. Now we've seen it kill another time. Good. The point was driven home the first three kills that were both off, off camera. This one just got glorified a little bit, which I think if it does anything, it pushes the narrative of Sam making a mistake and being in some small way responsible for this death. The other thing it does is kind of paints the police in a negative light in the show's eyes. Okay, so basically, Drew, if I'm understanding right, like you sort of wish that Ronnie hadn't died and that they had kept up the story, the lie. Is that right? Yeah. I think both from just the, it would have been a fun scenario to paint the brothers into while still being able to do a lot of what happened in this episode and very likely would have resulted in 
Ronnie possibly living. Yeah, that would have been nice. So I think if we take out the scoreboard, this is week four of me wishing for less death for no reason. Always a good wish. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Figueroa and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to thank Lucia for her message, even though it made us cry both a lot. Help us keep the conversation going, and you can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. Make sure to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We love to grow our community. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> that was, I wasn't looking. It was a long delay. <laughs> I know, because I was like, shit, what is it that we say again? <laughs> It's really funny because like I could only see until next week and then you said it and I'm like, oh crap, that's not what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <sighs> what have we been saying for the past six we're, or seven months? Who am we're I? Professionals. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>